Good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome to the Politics Guys with your hosts, Dave Carson and Michael Darnowski. Welcome to the Politics Guys. I'm Michael Baranowski, a political scientist at Northern Kentucky University. My co-host this week, as always, is Cleveland Area Attorney and sometime Republican strategist Jay Carson. Before we get to today's show, I wanted to let you know that we've got a new contributor to the Politics Guys newsletter, uh, Leah, a good friend of mine who not only has degrees in political science and public administration, she's also got over a decade of real-world experience in public policy, something I and my ivory tower, you know, don't have. Um, but this week, Leah shares her thoughts and links on healthcare reform, problems with nonprofits, the weak in misogyny, and more. I'm sure, Jay, you'll be interested in hearing that. Um, I, I am, yeah. I, now, now, along with Leah, you'll also find links and comments from my fellow political scientist, right-of-center Guy Trey, and Joe, our lovable and zany resident, here's how you got Trump correspondent. Uh, Joe's always, always interesting. Uh, now, to get the newsletter, just go to our website, politicsguys.com, and sign up on the form you'll see there. You can also check out previous issues by clicking on the past newsletters link above the sign-up form. And now, on to this week's show. You know, our top story this week is the continuing legal saga of President Trump's executive order banning entry to refugees and immigrants from seven predominantly Muslim countries. The nationwide temporary restraining order on the ban issued by federal district judge James Robart, a George W. Bush appointee, was quickly challenged by the administration. This week, a three-judge panel of the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals rejected the petition to reinstate the ban. So, Jay, what did you think about the decision, and, and what do you think is likely to happen next? Well, uh, you know, the decision here's here's the problem that this has had through, throughout. Um, first of all, we should back up and say this is this is very much an unforced error by the Trump administration. Oh yeah, uh, there there could have been they they screwed this up bigly. Um, there could have been a, a lot of different ways to do this where even if it's, if it's, uh, knocked down by the court in part, um, you're at least making a good case. You're at least putting forth, uh, evidence. <clears throat> the biggest problem I, I think with this is the likelihood of success on the merits piece of it, where the, the ninth uh, circuit is essentially saying, um, no, the, the president doesn't have the authority to uh, keep aliens out. And that, is you know seems to be very much at odds uh, with the jurisprudence that's that's gone before. Uh, the other piece of it is is the standing question: uh, Do colleges and universities have standing uh, to come into federal court to get an injunction because they believe either students or employees uh, might be uh, uh, adversely impacted <clears throat> by right. this by this uh, executive order? And again, that's that's sort of a, a heavy lift to say this is a irreparable harm. Um, uh, because of uh, this this order, and that the president doesn't have, even if it is irreparable harm, uh, that the president doesn't have authority to to make those those decisions. Um, so I think it's 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 really problematic uh, for the the Trump administration uh, if he were to pursue this this course. Now, something interesting, of course, happened uh, in the last day or so is that there has been a judge who has requested that the uh, Ninth Circuit hear it on banc. Um, which means it goes to a broader panel of the uh, of the court as opposed to a three judge panel. 
Right. You know, there there were a couple of things that I thought were interesting about this. Uh, number one, I guess, is this argument that uh, the Trump administration or attorneys for the Trump administration made was that uh, essentially that the courts just can't review this. And it seems to me that the greatest, the, one of the best ways to get the court to sort of push back is to tell them you've got no business reviewing this in the first place. And they, they did push back pretty hard on this. Uh, a second thing I wanted to, to bring up was, you know, this the point that you made about them kind of messing it up, I think it seems to me that while I would agree that they can, that the administration with it is within its legal and constitutional rights to keep some people out, I think if they had made the executive order more targeted and focused only on those people who don't have or don't already have visas and green cards they probably would have been on a lot firmer legal ground and in fact there's some oh, talk absolutely. you know yeah. and, right and there's some talk that they might actually roll out a new more targeted executive order to make that clear and i think in that instance it's still a policy that i very much disagree with but you know as we've talked about before jay just because i disagree with something doesn't mean that it's illegal or unconstitutional at this point I think I well I know I disagree with it and I think parts of it are are, are unconstitutional and illegal but I think that can be modified so that I will still disagree with it but uh, they can get around that. Yeah, you know something that's that's um interesting from the you know you mentioned the, <clears throat> the visa and green card that goes to more uh the the um due process problem which right. is what the court in, in Boston ruled and <clears throat> and I think I think the court's right on that. Uh, listen, if if you know, because the, the way the law works with with due process is, if you have some sort of vested right or interest, uh, the government can't take it away from you without giving you notice in a hearing, and that's just sort of the, the basic, sim- simple point of it. Right. So, if you are a person who had a green card, who are otherwise were were uh, pre-authorized to be in the country, and all of a sudden the government uh, up and uh, takes that uh, right away from you without giving you uh, notice in a hearing. Yes, there's a due process problem. And those people would certainly have standing to sue. Um, again, I think it's less clear this third party standing that, uh, um, you know, a, a you know college or university says that uh, um, – we may be affected because some of these other right. people who are affected, who who they're not actually suing, but you know, <laughs> we'll we'll sue for them. Reasonable people um, can definitely disagree about that one for yeah. sure. It's not that slam dunk. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I think that's right. I mean, and although what you said a, a second ago of, of you think would you would I'm trying to think how you how you phrased it. Um. That you know it, it would seem to be if we if we lessen the the impact. Um. Yes and no. I mean, in some respects, either the executive branch has the authority to make these decisions or it doesn't. Um, if it makes a, a broad decision, if they say they wanted to ban travel from, from 15 countries rather than seven or from three rather than seven, um, the legal principle is the same. Uh, and that is the executive gets to decide and the, the judiciary doesn't get the second guess whether that's a good idea or not a good idea. Um so, uh, you know, I think when we you take out the, the due process thing for the, the folks, yeah, who have who have some sort of vested right. Sure. Um, you know, that's that's where I disagree. Now, on on what happens next, uh, I think that the Trump administration would be smart to uh, go back and rewrite this and and give it another shot. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I, I think they, they probably will, which which doesn't mean that they won't still continue their challenge here. And, and of course, we'll we'll see what exactly what form that takes, uh, you know, this coming week. You know, another thing I wanted to mention is you mentioned the due process issue, but there's also at least potentially an equal protection issue. And this is the argument that this this executive order was intended to discriminate against Muslims and favor Christians. And as part of the justification for that, uh, people have been pointing pointing to uh, President Trump's own statements and tweets and so forth, suggesting that he did intend to favor Christians over Muslims and did intend to instigate what he called a, a Muslim ban and not just for these countries. And so here's a case where some of his very fiery and inflammatory campaign rhetoric might come back to hurt him as, as president, though that remains to be seen. Uh, sure. And I, first, I would say, does that... Um, um those do those remarks are they this and this is you know legal stuff not political stuff sure are those are those ever properly before the court uh you know the standard rule is you don't you don't start digging into the intent of of a uh, uh usually it's it's congress uh but in this case an executive order unless there is some sort of uh ambiguity that would require you to look to what do they intend by this um and and I think the you know the big answer to uh, it's it's geared toward to keeping out Muslims. I think the answer to that is Saudi Arabia, Turkey, um, uh, all the all the other um, more populous uh, Muslims name Muslim nations with whom we uh, who are not on the list and uh, who who we continue to accept people coming and going from. So if if it's a if it was a a, a Muslim ban or intended to ban Muslims, it's is terrible terribly ineffective. Um, <laughs> Right. You know, I, I think I think Trump made made some statements regarding uh, uh, Christians getting priority. And again, that's I think that can be, you know, you, you can make the argument of, listen, if our goal is to protect those who most need protected uh, Christians in the Middle East, in uh, particularly Syria, uh, would be refugees uh, who would need protection. That's not to say that that um, uh, other Muslims don't need protection, and I think that's where he's short-sighted. Is is there are plenty of um, Sunni uh, uh, moderate Muslims uh, who are who are equally persecuted by by ISIS, um, but uh, I, I I'm not I'm not cons- I mean the pro his his statements uh, screw things up publicly. I don't think it changes much judicially. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, but but you know, I mean I think the other fascinating thing is is what we're going to see now is he's going to play this out I think on a couple different fronts I mean the first is the on uh, banc request which is something that uh, Trump doesn't control didn't initiate uh, that's going to be up to the court they have to get a certain number of votes <clears throat> to determine whether or not they want to hear it on banc uh, my sense is the result the end result will likely be the same but what you'll get is some dissents. Uh, from some other uh, judges in that circuit, um, which which I think is is probably beneficial to the to the republic, uh, right? To, to have the that this view, and, and you know we should be clear to this point that no judge has ruled on the actual merits of this. I mean, this has all been about uh, uh, temporary injunctions and whether or not they should be. Correct. And so the, this still has a long ways to go in, in the court system, for sure. Right. It, it still plays out uh, in front of Judge Robart. Yeah. Uh, and again, Trump could could get out of that were he to withdraw this, this order and substitute a new one. Yeah. Uh, that would render that case moot. Um, but I don't know whether he wants to do it. I, I think, and I, and I think there's, there's maybe 
if I'm the Trump administration, you sort of have a little bit of a second chance uh, to, one, take your time and craft a, a reasonable, good executive order that's going to stand with ju- uh, withstand judicial scrutiny, uh, or even if it even if it gets knocked down, uh, at least is going to have some some more political legs to yeah. it. You know, um, there are a couple other things I wanted to just briefly mention before we before we move on because it's been a busy week. But number one is when you take a look at public opinion polling on this issue, it, it's I mean it's all over the place, and a lot of that has to do with question wording. But it seems to be fairly clear that there are you know large portions in most cases majorities of Americans who are actually in favor of something very much along the lines of what what President Trump is doing and I'm not to say I'm not arguing that because it's popular it's right I think that you know that you can certainly argue against that but it's it's important to keep that in mind is that there are an awful lot of Americans who think that President Trump uh, is doing exactly the right thing and are glad to see and and the second thing I wanted, yeah. you know, and the second thing I wanted to point out is once again Donald Trump has demonstrated that his instinctive response to any sort of criticism is to try to delegitimize that person who's or, or that institution that's criticizing him. We've talked about this before, and you know it continues to be troubling, and and I you know I continue to be troubled by it, and I know you are too. No, no, and I was actually I was really uh, upset. This is sort of funny because I I know I I for some reason, continue with taking heat for, for being too soft on Trump. Um, but the, the statement that, um, uh, the, you know, so-called judge and so forth, that's, yeah. that is, that's way across the line. Uh, that is not something that a, a, a sitting president ought to do. Um, and it's, it's, uh, completely inappropriate. The same, same thing goes with the sort of the, the mocking, the, uh, uh the ninth circuit, um, Believe me, I'm 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 one who's who's going to disagree with the Ninth Circuit plenty of plenty of times. But but there is a way to do it, and there's a way not to do it. Um, I I don't understand it. It 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 angers me and upsets me, and it ought to upset conservatives across the board. Absolutely. Um, just just as conservatives were upset by uh, by Obama sort of lecturing the Supreme Court uh, on Citizens United. Um, it, it again, that's there's this sort of. Uh, uh, it's it's something that ought not to be done, and and there is a strong, you know, there there's an unwritten constitution uh, that sort of floats out there, and I, I don't want to start sounding like a um, mm-hmm, one of these yeah. living uh-huh. living constitution guys, um, but it deals with with tradition and how we sure. regard uh, uh, our, our co-equal branches as co-equal branches, um, so uh, that's that was that's a that was a big problem, and and. Lastly, because I'm probably talking about this too much, but it, it's something that sort of hits, hits close to home. I mean, there is a a sense, you know, as as a in the legal community. I mean, it's sort of a a something that that you say sometime is is listen, understanding that judges aren't always going to get it right, and that sometimes there are going to be injustices. Uh, the the sense is we're still better off. Um, with respect for the court, even if the court is having a, a, a wrong decision, uh, then to start delegitimizing the court. Absolutely. Um, that's it's it's just one of those those basic truths that you know, and that's and that's something that's a lot of times hard to deal with. That when you say, look, they they did something that is absolutely wrong, um, but um, uh, you know, there it is. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah. Moving on, it's been. 
yet another right very busy very dramatic week when, in terms of senate confirmations uh voting largely on party lines the senate confirmed tom price as secretary of health and human services no no big fan of obamacare there um rex tillerson was right. confirmed as secretary of state Betsy DeVos was confirmed as Education Secretary, and Jeff Sessions was confirmed as Attorney General. Now, the DeVos and Sessions confirmation votes got most of the attention, I'd say. Democrats fiercely opposed both of these nominees. The DeVos vote ended in a tie, and Vice President Mike Pence cast a tie-breaking vote to confirm her, 51 to 50. Uh, That's the the first time in history a vice president has cast a tie-breaking vote for a cabinet appointment. Yeah, and, you know, that's unusual. Obviously, by definition, first time. Yep, exactly. <laughs> but it is not as uh, as, uh, as Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer said. It does not mean that it's a rigged cabinet, and it it bummed me out to see somebody on my side using the same sort of language to delegitimize the process that uh, Donald Trump uses as a matter of course. And so boo Chuck Schumer on, on that, but there's Schumer on that. Sorry. Um, you know, and the DeVos, the, after the DeVos vote, you had the, the vote on uh, Jeff Sessions, right? And this got a ton of coverage because during the debate before that vote, Massachusetts Senator and very likely 2020 Democratic uh, presidential candidate Elizabeth Warren was silenced by the Republican majority for imputing unworthy conduct to another senator when she read from a letter written by she did, she did, she did more than just impute it. Well, well, she, well, she, well, she, she was just no, now she was reading from a letter written by Coretta Scott King that was in opposition to Sessions nomination for a federal judgeship in 1986. So clearly, Jay, you have some you have some thoughts about this. I mean, do you think that was that was a smart thing, a good thing for the Senate majority to to do to shut to shut her up. Uh, what do you think? Yes, absolutely. Really? Um, yeah. Wow. For a couple reasons. For a couple okay. reasons. All right. Let's walk through this. You misogynist. Misogynist. Yes. Um, we'll talk about that. First, first of all, uh, the the Senate rules uh, say that this is something you can't do. The Senate has this you know, longest history of being this civil body. Uh, even, you know, during the, the pre-Civil War period, um, this this rule of, of uh, comedy and civility was uh, was observed. Um, and and she went outside of that and she knew it and she intended to do that. And quite honestly, her whole point was to force uh, Mitch McConnell into invoking the rule and silencing her so she could be a martyr. So so. You know, he does that. And, and McConnell has to, at some point, enforce the Senate rules, because otherwise, uh, what is he? You know what I'm saying? If, otherwise, if you're not going to enforce the rules, then um, that's that's a problem uh, for for the body in, as, as a whole. Well, um, let me ask before you get on to the other point, let me ask you this. A couple of years back, uh, I believe it was Marco Rubio who on the Senate floor essentially called Mitch McConnell a liar. And there was no Rule 19 invocation then, so it seems to me that this is a this is a somewhat selective thing. Now, I I agree with you that the Senate is well within its rights to invoke this rule, but I, I think that it's very selectively done. I would argue, from a strategic standpoint, it was a stupid thing for the the Senate Majority Leader, uh, Senate Majority Leader, and the Senate Majority to do because it gave Senator Warm. Warren much more of a platform than she would have others. If someone's trying to become a, a martyr, you don't 
help them do that. I mean, if that, you know, if that's what she was doing, and I think there's something to that. So I think tactically it was an error. I think it was a bad idea, uh, just all the way around. I think they fell right into what Senator Warren wanted them to fall into. So from my side, I think that that works out just fine. But I got to say, I think your side really muffed it. All right. Well, you might, Mike, if you remember back in the day, you and I used to play chess a lot, uh, late night uh, dorm room uh, chess games. And you got to think a couple moves ahead. Uh, if I'm Mitch McConnell, uh, and and the question is, who would I like to run? Who would I like the Republican Party to run against in 2020? Uh, uh, a moderate Democrat or someone to the farthest of far left Democrats? Uh, who would who would you want if you were a, a Republican to run against? Well, this sounds suspiciously like the logic that got us Donald Trump as the Republican nominee and the president. So, so I see where you're going with this, but I think you are. I if, think you if, are giving them far too much credit. But, but go if, ahead. If uh, you know, look, it's it's your your you got to look at how things are going to play out. Elizabeth Warren's going to do this. McConnell's going to be compelled, probably to to invoke the rule. Compelled. Um. So so he he does this and and uh, she is painted. Or she becomes a hero to the the far left, the farthest to the far left, uh, and she becomes the front runner and starts sucking up the money. And super, uh, that that is the candidate that you want to run against. Um, I suppose it's possible. You know, let me let me say one other thing just about the the letter itself. I, I think a, a reasonable person can could say in response to this, saying, "Well, you know, this was 1986. This was over 30 years ago, and even even if we say that yes, Coretta Scott King was exactly right on that." Uh, I, I I would say a, a more rational and reasonable response would be say, okay, are, are you saying that people are incapable of, of change and that we should, you know, we should take some 30, 30 plus year old charge against somebody to be a measure of who this person is today? I think that, I think that folks should be confirmed or not confirmed based on, based on their record, based on what they've done and not on, you know, not necessarily just on some, some letter from 30 years ago. Jeff Sessions, like any other Donald Trump's nominee should rise and fall based on their qualifications. And and I don't think that that really happened to the extent that I would like to see. Well, you know, this, and it, I, I would, as you're not, probably not surprised. I go further than that to say the, the instance which uh, that letter was complaining about was a situation where um, he uh, took steps to, at the instance of, of black plaintiffs, to prosecute uh, so-called activists, um, you know. So there, that that if if the man is racist uh, and you're going to accuse him of racism uh, because he has you know supporting black plaintiffs on one side against black plaintiffs on another, um, I think that's just sort of telling as to how far the left is going to yeah. go to try to spin this spin this well, narrative, and I think it's widely inappropriate. And, and again, he's also the guy who who helped get the death penalty for. Um, uh, um, you know, hate hate crime killers. Uh, he prosecuted the Klan and so forth. But 
it's sort of the easy, oh, he's a racist well, yeah, because, yeah. well, he's from Alabama. Well, well you know, there's a there's a, a logical fallacy that I know you're familiar with called uh, appeal to authority, right? And I think that's sort of what what's going on here is, well, if Coretta Scott King says that Jeff Sessions is a disgrace and, and, and you know, saying that essentially he's a racist back in 1986, therefore, this must be true. And in 2017, he must also be a disgrace and a racist. And, and you know, maybe that's so and maybe that's not. But I'm saying that there needs to be an argument on the merits and bringing forth some of the things that you talk about. I mean, I, I could certainly make a strong case against Jeff Sessions, I believe, just based on things that he's actually done, votes he's actually taken while he was a senator. And there was a lot less of that debate. And I think that's really too bad. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Let's let's always limit it to the stuff people have actually done and uh, uh, stuff people have actually uh, facts facts that we know to be true rather than just allegations. Absolutely. <clears throat> you know, before we move on to our next, oh, go ahead, Jay. Oh, can I can I talk about DeVos just for a second? Though? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And and this is something that I think is telling. Uh, there are a couple pieces in the Wall Street Journal last week about this, uh, but she has faced this fierce fierce nomin uh, uh, push uh, across the country, and everyone call your senators and. Um, it, it is anyone, and I'm going to say something that is going to rile a lot of feathers. Uh, for conservatives, you you won't be riled, but the idea that the Democrats would spend this much political capital, this much of a push, uh, for the Secretary of Education uh, is really stunning. Um, well, yes and no. I mean, most, I see what you're most, saying. I mean, to most conservatives yeah. and most people, look, I, I'm going to say it, and this is going to really upset some people. The Department of Education, the Federal Department of Education, does not do that much. Well, they don't. I mean, it's uh, just that's. If, I mean, you people wanna, can get wrong. Like, it's true. You know, somebody sent me a list of here's the greatest all-time secretaries of, of education. Um, you know, we survived quite well without uh, with even out this uh, department until the mid '70s. And some people might say, you know, Jesus, the mid '70s. That's when education really took off and really got great. Um, but. She is a a flashpoint because uh, she she is for choice uh, that affects the teachers unions that affects the money that's that's coming in and this is a financial decision and uh, appeal to the base to to keep them uh, riled up. Um, yeah, just, just and, to be uh, just to be clear for people who don't know that teachers unions are they're some of the strongest supporters of Democrats, and so the idea that there's a, a secretary of education who uh, is uh, opposed to a lot of things that teachers unions believe in, and certainly a big fan of charter schools and for-profit schools, that that strikes directly at something that a core Democratic uh, uh, supporter group it you know holds very dear, and you know th- along that point that you and, made, and most all that that policy is made at the state level anyway. Yeah. And, and there was an article in Vox this last week uh, called A Comprehensive List of What Betsy DeVos Can and Can't Do Next. And, and certainly Vox is, you know, is certainly no fan of Betsy DeVos or any of, or practically any of Donald Trump's nominees. But as, when, as I read through it, it basically said, just along the lines of which said, can she do a whole lot? Not without Congress, no. And so, yeah, I think that I agree with you that a lot was made of it. And uh, I don't know that they've really, you know, really uh, burned much political capital. But I think it's understandable when we think about who the primary interest groups are that support, you know, the Democratic Party. Well, but here's where they they burned the the political capital is that – and there was some some really great remarks from um, uh, Senator uh, Cory Booker – 
who spoke at DeVos's group's meeting earlier last year, uh, praising her and the group for you know their their stance on on bringing choice to inner city students. Uh, and and so one group that they're burning a bridge with uh, is uh, inner city parents, um, which is part of their their main demographic, and they were sacrificing that group to the teachers union. And I think that's going to be telling down the line. And and the, the the hypocrisy, if you look at the, the Booker statements of, you know, again praising this this woman and and the organization that she created uh, less than a year ago, and the you know sort of savaging that. Uh, uh, that she got uh, from the same people yeah. this year. At, that that tells you what's going on. Well, 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 I think that I think that Betsy DeVos has taken a good idea and has taken it way too far. I, I think, without a doubt, and this is where I break from some liberal orthodoxy, is that there are real problems with K through 12 education, and part of it has to do with the the stranglehold that teacher unions uh, have had. And I think that needs to be addressed, but I think she goes too far and the whole push for, I I think there's a lot to be said for, in some instances, for vouchers and charter schools, and and maybe one day we'll want to do a whole episode on that, though I think we'll probably agree on a lot. But once you start getting into for-profit schools and you start to get on different and lower standards for some of these for-profit things that I think is going too far in that direction. And I think that's what Betsy DeVos does. And I think that's part of what I feel is at least some of the principled opposition to her, uh, to her nomination to be education secretary. So, all right. Now, now before I move on, uh, we would like to thank our new supporters this week. First, we have Mike from Higginum, Higginum, I think it's Higginum, Connecticut. Uh, Mike writes, I find your show refreshing as you are both civil with each other and aren't afraid to disagree with your preferred party. Just, I guess, like me on uh, the liberals and uh, education there, right there. So, um, there you go. Yep. Uh, he said, I'm curious to hear more about the defunct TPP that you both seem to agree would have been better if it had passed. My understanding is that this was a pretty good trade agreement, except for some power grabs by big business that were way over the line for what you would expect in a trade agreement. There was tremendous opposition to this by some very smart people. I sure would love to hear that viewpoint. And, you know, uh, I, I told Mike, and I'd like to tell all our listeners, that trade is an issue that both Jay and I, I we, we both tend to have some pretty strong opinions on. And I think we both, Jay, wouldn't you agree, have some issues with, uh, with Donald Trump in that area? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I'm a a free trader, and and as uh, am I. Uh, now, again, I think I think there's there's always room to discuss the specifics of any given agreement. Sure. Um, uh, you know, is good deal uh, a bad deal? But I think you know, my starting point is always from uh, the point of there ought to be you know fewer fewer tariff barriers, more free trade, then that, that uh, helps helps everyone. Yeah, and you know, I, so. I, I, what I'd really like to do, and I hope we'll be able to do this at some point in the near future, is devote a whole episode yeah. to the ins and outs of this, because a number of listeners have, have had questions on that, and I think that would definitely be worthwhile to do do an episode on, on trade policy, yeah. the winners, the losers, and that sort of thing. So I have put that on the agenda. I know, Jay, that would be, I think, something that you'd love to love to launch right into, and I think that'd make for a great I would, episode. Yes. We'll, All right. We'll put that on the agenda. Okay. Um. Next is Marlando, a generous supporter of ours through PayPal. Uh, I don't know where he's from, but I do know that we greatly appreciate his support. So thank you very thank much. Thank you very much. 
Now, if you're interested in supporting the show financially, you can do what Mike and Marlando did this week. Go to politicsguys.com and click on either the PayPal or Patreon donation links you'll see there. Every donation helps no matter what the amount is, and we are truly grateful for whatever you can do to help us out. It's especially helpful for us to have continuing monthly supporters. That's something real easy to set up in Patreon or PayPal. Uh, that allows us to uh, make it easier to know what to expect as we move forward with the show, so that's really helpful. And finally, it would be a big help if you could spread the word about the show by sharing and retweeting our new show posts on Facebook and Twitter and leaving reviews and ratings of the show on iTunes. All right, on to our next story. You know, on the campaign trail, Donald Trump said a lot of pretty out there things, uh, to put it mildly. Things that would, in my view, make any reasonable person more than a little bit apprehensive. And in some instances, I think President Trump seems to be doing his level best to make these campaign promises a reality. I would suggest, you know, the, <laughs> the, the, the travel ban and other things. But but here's some encouraging news. I don't use the, the phrase Donald Trump and encouraging news often in the same sentence, but here we go, at least when it comes to certain aspects of foreign policy. In a number of instances, the Trump administration has pretty clearly backed off some of their extreme campaign rhetoric. For example, candidate Trump seemed fine with more illegal Israeli settlements, but President Trump now says that settlements don't help the process. Candidate Trump said, we will move the American embassy to the eternal capital of the Jewish people, Jerusalem. But President Trump now says, I'm thinking about it. Candidate Trump said he'd rip up the, the Iran nuclear deal. But President Trump's advisors recently told the European Union's top foreign policy official that the United States would, in fact, fully carry out the agreement. So, Jay, Jay what do you make of this? Is Donald Trump mellowing? He is, he is an eminently reasonable man. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, a couple things. Uh, on the the uh, settlements, I think that's interesting. Um, there is there is maybe a little bit of a uh, only Nixon could go to China uh, kind of thing there um, where he's he is, uh, you know, the Israelis are coming off a, a presidency, which was uh, what we can characterize as being uh, less friendly. Uh, than than uh, what the Fair what they've been used to. Sure. Um, and Trump has promised great support for Israel, uh, but you know he's he's taking the step that's saying, listen, he's not going to roll back settlements, but that further settlements uh, are not helpful to the peace process. Now that's that's uh, that's also that's in in some respects just stating a um, a truism. Um, but it's also communicating that uh, uh, the U.S. would be willing to work, and if if Israel is willing to give a little bit, we'd be willing to to, to help move things, uh, you know, yeah. towards towards a you know and, reopening and, discussion. You know, I so, think I think that that's in part kind of along the lines of what you said. It has to do with the Trump administration's top people having conversations with our allies in the region, most notably, almost certainly Saudi Arabia, and they're being told, "Hey, listen, if you." don't want to make a bad situation worse, you're going to step back from some of this. And uh, uh, and if, if you really are serious about trying to put together some sort of a peace deal, as every administration says it is, a lot of times it feels like, uh, was it Lucy and Charlie Brown with the football yeah. thing? I mean, but every administration comes in wanting to do this. And if they could, it would be uh, an amazing coup and a wonderful thing. And the way to do that is not to encourage these settlements and is not to do something so inflammatory as moving the embassy to Jerusalem, which would have no 
particularly wonderful positive effect, but would really, really upset a lot of people in the Arab world. Yeah, the, the other thing about the moving of the embassy, and this is just an interesting piece, is that's that's sort of a almost perennial presidential promise. Um, and uh, Obama even said that at one point uh, back in 2008. Um, you know, had said, you know, Jerusalem is the capital and, and so forth. Uh, but it never happens. And it's I think it's one of those things that you sort of uh, uh, play to certain audiences. But but, you know, that uh, uh, in the real world, it's not it's not going to happen. Right. Um now, in terms of tearing up the uh, Iran deal, um, I, for, I always love the idea that the tearing up, like yeah. it's like it's it's like laying around somewhere in some drawer, and he's just going like to find. Like to see it. him on YouTube, just doing that exactly. <laughs> you could post a link no, to it. No, President yeah. Trump, you tore up. That's not the right one. Um, uh, yes, he. I mean, he has on the the one hand pushed for. Uh, you know, he's he said the Iranians are on notice now after the uh, missile launch. Um, a, a you know ballistic missile which was uh, plainly in violation of uh, of what they're supposed to be doing and, and had written in Hebrew uh, something along the lines of, of death to Israel. Um, you know, so if you wonder like what kind of message are they trying to send? Yes, with this? it's um, not subtle. Uh, uh, but um, no, I mean I, I think he can certainly pressure Iran without tearing up the the nuclear deal right away. And, and I would say even just to, to tear it up. Uh, is is to some extent uh, counterproductive because you're you're kind of playing your 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 best card for last. I mean, let's uh, let's keep that thread out there and see what else we well, can get yeah. um, moving forward. I, I think that's just kind of the way you you play this. And I mean, also, it, I it think it might get yeah. torn up eventually. Well, I think it's important that just the general principle that we are we are uh, a country that honors its agreements. And if maybe we want to, the, the president wants to try to renegotiate or something like that. That's a different story. But we just don't sure. simply decide to ignore uh, agreements that we happen not to like all of a sudden. That's just right. not. And that that sends a message to all the other folks that we have agreements with on things that are much more uh, exactly. you know, prosaic than the nuclear expansion. I mean, exactly. Have, you, know, you know, I should also so. mention that uh, that the Trump administration said actually that, uh, no, we, we do believe in the one China policy, that idea that Taiwan is not, you know, is it does not have kind of I any mean, independent. We're not going to recognize really China, them and yes. so forth. Exactly. And so that was something that uh, candidate Trump was talking about. Well, I don't know. He seemed very friendly with Taiwan. And now he's kind of coming back into the fold. And, that. and I think, you know, this is just a, a broader realization that foreign policy requires a lot of agreements and, and a lot of working together with other sovereign states. And also, I think if you take a look at Donald Trump's uh, his the people he's chosen to surround himself with, there are a lot of people that I have huge problems with. But the least insane, the most kind of conventional of his nominees, I think, tend to be largely in this region of, of foreign policy. And so I, I think that's a I think that's a, a less bad thing. I'll almost say almost a, a good thing, although, of course, you know, any Republican nominees are to, for these positions are going to be less favorable to me than someone that, say, uh, sure. uh, Hillary Clinton would have chosen. Yeah. So, all right. You know, I'm um, speaking of foreign policy. Even though President Trump's policy may start to be seeming more conventional than initially expected, when it comes to Russia, there are a lot still of unanswered questions. For instance, this week, the Washington Post reported that National Security Advisor Michael Flynn, uh, the well-known progenitor of these Flynn facts, um, discussed the – Mad dog. Yes, exactly. 
discuss the possible. Oh, that's Mattis, isn't it? Yes, I, it's hard to oh, keep I'm the sorry. nickname I'm straight. Sorry. That's yeah, fine, you know. Um, but but Flynn discussed the possible removal of sanctions with Russian officials during the transition. Now, this is not only potentially a violation of federal law, but the revelation, which according to this article, were cor- was corroborated by nine current or former government officials. This seems to stand in contrast to previous statements from the administration, including from Vice President Mike Pence, that say that no such talks took place. So, Jay, do you think there's something of concern here? Well, uh, yeah, this is one of these things. It's going to be a dust up, but it's it's going to go away. Um, it's it's a concern, I think, for for uh, Mike Pence. It's a concern for these other folks who are more traditional Republicans who deal with the Trump team uh, who don't want to see themselves get undercut. Um, uh, now, I wasn't on the phone call. Uh, as you might expect, I typically am in on these kind of things. But, um, you know, so I don't know what was said, what was discussed um, uh, and so forth and to what extent, you know, who brought up sanctions. Um the idea that it's illegal, that goes back to – this is one of the, the first shows we did. We talked about this, the Logan Act. That's right, 1799. Um, yeah, um, and I, I don't even remember the context in which we which we brought it up. But uh, yeah, the idea with the Logan Act is that private citizens cannot conduct foreign policy. Which seems like a wise idea, generally speaking. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I think in, in this case – no, well, first of all, no one has ever actually been uh, prosecuted under mm-hmm. the Logan Act. That's right. Um, for all that time, uh, just because again, it's it's sort of tough to do. Uh, and and this time, you have an outgoing administration, and you have discussions between um, you know the incoming uh, representatives and, and ambassador, and and I would say that's probably for the most part pretty pretty standard, uh, you know, par for the course kind of stuff. Yeah. So I, I don't think I don't think I think there's more I don't think there's the story here that the, the mainstream media wants to to gin up of, of that you know there's the secret deal that we've got with the Russians and so forth. Uh, sure. I think the dissent is problematic. It's problematic with uh, Republican Trump allies who are going to be a little bit uh, circumspect in dealing with them because they want to make sure that you know they don't they don't find out if they go out and stick their neck out for them that they're not going to find out that. Uh, uh, you know, what they said isn't true, you know, the next week. Yeah, absolutely. You know, another big Russia story came from CNN, which late uh, this last week reported that U.S. investigators had corroborated some portions of that memo that alleged uh, collusion between Russian officials and Trump campaign staff, which would be, you know, a huge deal, obviously. Uh, would be a big treason. Deal, yes. Yeah. No, but and this is a big but. The only parts that were corroborated had to do with conversations between Russian nationals and not between Russians and anyone involved with the Trump campaign. So this is one of these kind of very misleading headlines. Uh, now, when when asked to comment on this, the uh, I think it's fair to say embattled White House press secretary, Sean, Sean Spicer, said – we continue to be disgusted by CNN's fake news reporting. Um, so, Jay, I guess I have two questions here. Uh, number one, should CNN have run this story? And number two, is it to you disgusting fake news? Uh, no, they should not have run the story. Uh, this is the same problem I had with CNN um, 
when they ran the the initial story, which they said they weren't running. It's it's one of those sort of here's here's some like a bunch of crazy well, stuff we've well, just, got. It's unverified, and we're going to put it out. Just there. to be clear, just to be clear, because we had a number of listeners uh, chime in on this. CNN that initial story didn't actually run that story. They ran news of BuzzFeed running that story, so it was not a CNN story. Right. It was a BuzzFeed story, and so I just wanted to make that correction. But but right. still, well, and I'll, I'll I'll report here that that uh, you know I'll, I'll run a story that Michael Baranowski is a, a child molester. Um, I don't oh, have geez. any proof of that, but 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 there's these other people out there who are saying it, and here it is. So, um, I mean, that's that's sort of you know. I hear what you're saying. Again, we we talked about this before. I mean, if, if CNN either you either you are a news organization or you're not, and if you're just going to report a rumor that someone else uh, comes up with, I don't yeah. think that's news. Well, you know, I'll I'll uh, let me let me partially agree with you on this. Okay, I, I think that the way they reported it was irresponsible. However, I think they could have reported in a way that was less sensationalistic without that clickbaity type of headline. Of course, it wouldn't have gotten nearly the play and wouldn't have gotten the, you know, the views and so forth, but that would have been perfectly acceptable, responsible reporting. They chose to sensationalize to the, so I, I don't think it's something they shouldn't have done. I just think they should have done a better, more responsible job of it. And it would have been less of a story, which obviously would not have been in CNN's economic interests. Well, that tells you where their, their head is then. You know, as, and then as far as the, this, this next piece of, uh, you know, I saw the headline uh, too of it's uh, corroborated and I'm like, oh my gosh, shocking! Exactly. And, well, I clicked. No, it, it's it's not. Yeah. Um, and this is this is something that, unfortunately, you know, there there's the complaint about about fake news and the stuff that the partisan press that's out there. Um, what happens is your 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 slates and your Huffington Posts and your even beyond that, um, you know, these other uh, uh, meme making sort of sort of uh, social media groups. Um, take that and, and they report just the headline. Yeah. Uh, and, and again, this is taken then as truth. It's taken with, it has that CNN imprimatur on it, uh, that, Hey, this is not just something we're making up. CNN has verified, uh, that, uh, Donald Trump, you know, uh, you know, we have in fact corroborated the, the, um, you know, the dossier. Um, and, and it's, it's just, isn't true. And, uh, you know, I think there's a, the term fake news is sort of sort of amorphous, and that's something I think we're we yeah. Get let, mixed let's up, let's but. talk about that a little bit because it seems to me now that that pretty clearly the talking points have been passed along to the Trump administration that when when they disagree with something or when they take issue with something that's reported. They're not going to call it irresponsible. They're not going to call it bad or poor, or incomplete reporting. They're just going to flat out call it fake news. And now that to me, is going way over the line because it's not fake news. It's news that you, you may disagree with the, the reporting. You may find it sensationalistic, but calling it fake once again calls into the question the very legitimacy of the thing with which you disagree. And that shuts down argument right there. That's a, that's been one of the primary, you know, drivers of, I think, of Trump administration communications policy. I think it's a horrible thing. I think it's one of the things that I'm most concerned about in this administration. I don't think it's going to stop. And, uh, I, it's, I, they're just dead wrong on this. I, I think I think the the bigger disconnect is between sort of the, the nomenclature that, that we're using. Um, you and I, when when we talk about fake news, there is 
and, and again, this is a, a term that sort of originated with, with the left, uh, are stories that are whole and completely fabricated. Exactly. Lies. Mm. Um, that, you know, this, this is not something that they are just sort of misreporting or spinning. It's something that never actually happened. It is something that they are just completely making up. There was a right. wonderful story on the New York Times a couple of weeks ago about this guy in Ohio who, who does this fake news and he does it really quite lucratively. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and and I thought, man, we're in the wrong business. <laughs> no kidding. Uh, and, and he sort of admitted to, yes, I just, you know, sit down and, and make stuff up. Um, and that's not what but, CNN or any of these outlets are doing. And that that's the problem is is that the Trump administration is choosing to not engage, but to just dismiss as fake. And, you know, we, we already have a huge well, problem with polarization. And Donald Trump's whole campaign was based on just shutting down and delegitimizing, delegitimizing all opposition. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And he keeps on doing it. And that, to me, I, I don't by the whole Donald Trump is going to be the end of democracy things. I think that's a, a overreaction. But in this one area, I think this is this is hugely consequential and it's a major problem. I think it's I think it's completely fair and there's it's heartening heartening for conservatives to see uh, someone who hits back against the media. Now the use of the nerve the term fake news uh, again that you and I agree that that is inaccurate, um, but it, it resonates. Well, sure uh, with, it does. With a whole lot of people who see this, who, 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 who look, let me put it this way. They would see the, the sin of, of, um, you know, creating something from whole cloth, uh, not too differently from intentionally spinning something, uh, uh, to make it sound a whole lot worse than it is. For example, uh, saying, oh, the dossier is, has been corroborated when, you know, the, the people writing the story, uh, know damn well that, you know, the the key points uh, in the dossier that that would make a difference uh, to President Trump and any potential illegality have not been corroborated. But but they're intentionally withholding that information or leaving it till later in the story. Uh, And to the average guy on the street, they see that as if not fake news, then let's let's call it fake journalism. I mean, fake, uh, fake objectivity, I guess, maybe. I think this, Um, I think this just encourages that the worst tendencies of people who already don't trust government and institutions and just kind of, just kind of work on that, use that for, for this sort of personal, personal political policy gain, what have you. And that's something that's been to this point outside the bounds of what's considered fair and decent conduct. And once again, President Trump shows that he doesn't give a damn about fair and decent conduct. And and in that sense, I think he's a dangerous man. Well, here's, you know, this this goes back. And I think, again, it's part of maybe just the conservative experience versus the liberal experience that conservatives have dealt with this for decades. Um, if you not recall, like this. Back, ah, I think you're wrong, but go ahead. If you recall back, this this was sort of a, a minor turning point, but it certainly didn't help. Uh, back in the 1992 election, the New York Times ran a story about Bush campaigning somewhere, uh, showing him at a, a uh, cash register uh, scanning a pair of socks. With the barcode reader, right? Yeah. The barcode reader. And and the the way the picture was captioned and the way the story was written is you know Bush is is looking on and and with this look of amazement on his face, and it was it was portrayed as listen uh, this guy is so rich and elite and out of touch he doesn't even know they have Barker readers at stores uh, where you can you know scan your socks, when in fact the actual story was this was a special barcode reader new technology 
that if the you know barcode was ripped up or marred up, it can still read it, uh, which Bush found impressive. Yeah, but, but the, this this story was run and it, it influenced the election. I mean, you can say yeah, I don't know how much, but yeah. but it was it was. But that I see what you're saying, and I agree. And back then, was I that, was was that fake news? No, it wasn't fake news. That was spinning something, and it wasn't. If you actually if you actually read back on that, they didn't actually say President Bush does not know how does not know what a barcode reader is. People certainly may have gotten that impression from the picture. But the New York Times, but but the New York Times didn't just flat out lie. I mean, so it's not fake news. Words matter. These distinctions matter. Donald Trump is over the line, and this is just flat out wrong. And that's kind of my final word on that. Trump's over the line. But but let's go back. What about uh, Newsweek drawing in the extra explosions uh, in in some of these uh, West Bank um, uh, raids? This was back, oh, probably five eight years ago. when there was an Israeli. Now that, no, I agree with you on that. Okay. That, when you doctor. <laughs> the, said, no, well, the picture no. looked a lot better. Well, well, yeah. And Photoshopped and more stuff blowing up. Just like, just like I believe it was either Time or Newsweek uh, uh, during the O.J. Simpson thing where they uh, doctored the picture to make him look more picture. sinister, that sort of thing. So, so yeah, I think that absolutely is. That is lying. Yeah, what, uh, that is fake news. That? But that's and a rather, lot. Sure. I, well, that was, that was just poor reporting. But that's different than just making stuff up like that guy in Ohio is doing. That's a whole different thing. I, I, I agree it's, it's a different thing. But if you're a conservative who, have, who has lived with this kind of stuff, this other sort of stuff, for, for 20, 30 years, and I'm not even going back into the, you know, before that, um, do you understand why that, that claim of fake news would resonate with them? Sure, I, I do. Okay, fair enough. On that, I, I sort of, I see what you're getting at here. And certainly... I think it's fair to say that the mainstream media absolutely has preferences. You know, I, I would argue it's particularly clear editorially, not so much in news coverage. But, but yeah, I see, I see what you're saying there, and I think that that provides an opening for a, a demagogic manipulator like Donald Trump to to use that to for short term gain and try to destroy even more credibility in, in our institutions. Agreed, and I, and I agree with you there. And the 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 best way to stop that is for the press to kind of clean up its own act. Well, I think I think that would help, and I also things. think the president yeah. has a responsibility here too. All right. Well, um, well, I didn't know that we get quite that much in the fake news, but there it is. So uh, that is that pretty much brings us to the end of our show for this week. Uh, Thanks, everyone, for listening. And, of course, if you have any thoughts, comments, criticisms, or questions about our – well, we don't have, we do not do fake news, but about our show in general, right. our alternative facts. We might think, Yeah, we don't. But, you know, just uh, send us an email. We're at mail at politicsguys.com. Check us out on Facebook, too. We post stuff there all the time. It's facebook.com slash politicsguys page. And we're also very active on Twitter at politicsguys. Jay, I don't know if I've mentioned this to you, but I've started personally responding to some of Donald Trump's tweets. I don't know why. Just I, I start I stopped. I couldn't help wow. myself. Uh, you know, he hasn't responded back yet, but I'm hoping to get this whole kind of Donald Trump can't handle coming on the politics guys and the withering sort of question, you know. But anyway, we'll see. That'd be fun. That'd be fun. It, it would be one. a lot of fun. Um, I think, you know, it'd be- oh, also, if, if people really, really missed me last week, which I know you did, um, I you did. can catch me on uh, Pantsuit Politics with uh, Sarah after our, our major podcast crossover event uh, last week. Um, I'm on there uh, discussing just uh, Trump and the uh, uh, the position of the Republican Party. 
Yeah, they've definitely checked that out. There, they were both Sarah and Beth were great, and we were really happy to be able to do that. Uh, you know, also should mention that uh, we would absolutely appreciate it if you could subscribe to the show, leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, whatever podcast service you use, and of course, what would be really helpful is sharing and retweeting our new show posts and tweets. And if you'd like to support the show financially, well, you probably know how to do that. Go to the website and click on either of those Patreon or PayPal links there. And finally, if you enjoy the show, you should definitely check out the Politics Guys weekly newsletter. You can take a look at previous newsletters to see what you'll be getting into. Sign up to have it delivered to your email box all on our website, politicsguys.com. The Politics Guys will be back next Sunday. We hope you'll join us.